My name is Jan Bedane, and I am co-president of the League of Women Voters of Nevada County, along with my other co-president here, uh, Lynn Forbes. I want to welcome you all to uh, the first of three candidate forums for the primary election, um, primary of March 5th election. Tonight, we have the uh, Board of Supervisors for District 1. That's the Nevada City area. Tomorrow night, we will have Board of Supervisors District 2. That is South County. And then on uh, next Tuesday, the 30th, we will have State Assembly. And um, I regret to say that we were not able to conduct a forum for the State Senate or for um, U.S. Congress. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I want to thank you all for being here tonight, both our live audience and anybody who is uh, watching us live streaming. And for those of you who will be viewing us in a day or two um, on the YouTube station from uh, Nevada County Media. And I want to thank Nevada County Media for recording this and making it available to all the citizens of Nevada County. They are a great partnership. I want to also thank Nevada County itself for the use of the Root Center. It's an appropriate place to have a forum. <laughs> uh, um, I also want to thank all of our volunteers tonight, um, all of whom are the uh, members of League of Women Voters. Not all the members, but they are members of League of, of Women Voters. I also want to thank our media partners, KNCO, The Union, Ubinet, and KVMR for being here to participate with their own questions. Um, and I want to also thank the community uh, who sent in questions prior to the forum. That's what we had um, solicited from all of you, and we did get a good set of questions in, and then we expect to get some more tonight from our live audience. Um, I would like to just speak um, just for a moment about the spirit of these forums. We, we do these forums because we would like to offer the community the opportunity to listen to these fantastic candidates who are willing to give their service to our community, um, to listen to their ideas and their thoughts. And we do this with civil discourse, respectful language, and um, with really good listening ears. And that, that respectful language is between the candidates, with the media, with the audience, with the members of the League of Women Voters. So um, that's the spirit that we bring this to you, and uh, we hope that you learn a lot from it. Um, da -da -dum. I just want to mention that if you appreciate these, you can become a member of the League of Women Voters. It's easy to do. This right here is our website, lwvnevadacounty.org, and there's a place to join. And for those in the audience here tonight, you can um, go to the table outside. So um, I'm going to turn it over to our moderator tonight. That's Stephen Munkelt, a uh, local attorney. Stephen has been doing um, forums for us for a long, moderating forums for a long time. So I'm going to turn it over to him. Thank you, Jan. For those unfamiliar with the League, I'm just going to add a little bit about uh, our history. We celebrated the 100th anniversary of the League just a couple of cycles ago. And the League has two missions, an educational mission and an advocacy mission. 
and obviously a forum like this is part of the educational mission for the forum or for the for the league um, the rules for this evening are designed to provide information to voters in a nonpartisan way and each of the candidates is going to have a, a great opportunity to tell you about their positions on issues that are important to Nevada County um, we do a little number draw before the uh, the event to figure out what the speaking order will be. And if I remember correctly, we've got Heidi is one, Michael is two, and Sue is three. Is that right? You know, for my convenience, if you guys would switch places, that would be helpful. Because I'm going to lose track at some point. <clears throat> so tonight we have the candidates from Board of Supervisors District 1 which is the district that includes Nevada City, the unincorporated areas of Banner Mountain, Cascade Shores, Deer Creek, and the Highway 174 corridor, generally speaking. Um, before I introduce the candidates further, I want to go to our media representatives. Uh, the, they uh, are professional journalists, so we always expect a good uh, deal of questions and probing from them. Uh, this evening we have from KNCO, Chris Gilbert, from the Union, Marianne Bolsi, from Ubinet, Pascal Fussholder, and uh, from the KVMR station we have Paul Emery. Uh, we're not going to get any fake news out of tonight. They're going to all report what, what actually happens here. <clears throat> so our candidates tonight are Heidi Hall, who's the incumbent. Uh, seeking re-election to this, this, this uh, District 1 seat. Um, she, earlier, she had a career that touched on water and conservation and worked for the California State Water Resources Control Board and the California Department of Water Resources, among other places. Michael Taylor is seeking his first elective office, and he's a local contractor. And Sue McGuire, I believe, is also seeking her first elective office and is a local attorney. Excuse me. So we're going to do two minutes for opening statements and then one minute for each candidate to answer the questions that come up. And uh, we have a timekeeper who will be showing you a 30-second warning and then a time's up sign. And if somebody misses that altogether, I'll, I'll start yelling at you or, or, or something. I'll interrupt. <clears throat> Obviously, we'll let you finish a sentence, but don't go into a paragraph. Um, so without further ado, let's do the opening statements, two minutes each, starting with Ms. Hall, then Mr. Taylor, and Ms. McGuire. Are you ready? Your go. Thank you so much, and thank you to the League for putting this on. My name is Heidi Hall, and I am your district supervisor. I grew up in the Bay Area in a household of teachers relocated here in 2005 where I raised my kids and my grandson is in school and a couple of my kids are gainfully employed. This is my chosen home because of its natural beauty, its engaged community, and the arts and culture. I've always been involved in community service as a court-appointed special advocate on the Circle Board, now with In Concert Sierra, and CivicWell, a statewide organization working to help local governments adapt to climate change. My desire to protect our natural beauty and uplift our generous community has led my work in public service here. I'm running to keep leading with positive solutions. 
My leadership is focused on the challenges we have agreed are our highest priorities. Solutions to homelessness, where we've tripled our investment in housing and services. More and better broadband, where we are shovel-ready for federal funds coming down. Low-income and workforce housing, a statewide challenge and where we continue to invest. Wildfire mitigation and evacuation, where we continue to receive grants, expand our plans, and collaborate with our fire and law enforcement partners. Recreation opportunities, both indoor and outdoor. Climate change adaptation and mitigation. And now fire insurance solutions, where I've been in a leadership position and hope I get to talk about that more later. On all of these issues, not only am I implementing on the ground innovation, but I've also advocated at regional, state, and national levels where I hold leadership positions as Nevada County's representative. With me, you get responsible and responsive leadership. I work hard, look for solutions, stand up for you, and get things done. I'd be honored to spend four more years continuing to work, to meet our, to work with you and for you to meet our challenges with collaborative approach and to protect and uplift our community. I ask for your vote on or before March 5th. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Taylor. Hello. Thank you, League of Women's Voters, for having us, making this event possible tonight for us. And you out there as well coming tonight, as well as the people who are watching live. My name is Michael Taylor. I'm a longtime resident with family ties, with family history in this, in this area dating back to the 1930s. I've gone to high school here, uh, competed in sports, went on, to, went on in sports to compete in interna in internationally in Ironmans, and then came back home to what I call home, Nevada County. I'm running to be the next District 1 supervisor for several reasons. First, because I love Nevada County, and I believe it's the best county in the state of California. It's my home. Secondly, secondly uh, because I'm concerned with the, the economic trajectory of the county, its, renew, uh, um, its revenue is trending down, the cost of full-time staff is going up, pensions coverage is trending down. What does this mean? This means our, our county, our own, our own county numbers are signaling financial hardship is coming. State is also signaling financial shortfalls in fiscal in the fiscal year 2023, 2024, and 24, 2025. What does this mean? Feds and state funding will be pulling back. What is the county doing? They're adding employees, 75 employees, at a cost to us of close to $12 million. The average pay to, for, for county staff is $150,000 on average. This is not sustainable. It's not a, a trajectory that's safe for us to keep doing what we've always been doing for the last decade. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. McGuire. Thank you, Steve. Is it? There we go. A little closer, I guess. So I'm Sue McGuire. I'm a lifelong resident of Nevada County, with the exception of a few years. And um, I put myself through law school at night and became an attorney in 1991 and opened my own law practice. Um, I will work for transparency. Citizen oversight of government is crucial. County employees have a duty to secure the public's rights, which includes how taxpayer monies are spent in job performance of our public servants. The California Public Records Act provides a fundamental right to every member of the public to review 
county records relating to the people's business. When Nevada County refused to turn over public election records that in fact San Francisco County had put online for years, I fought for transparency and won in a court of law on behalf of the members of the public. Nonprofits receiving taxpayer monies as grants must comply with California's Brown Act and Public Records Act. As an attorney, I confronted violations by our local Nevada County Fire Safe Council, <clears throat> which spurred the union to investigate further and affirm my findings, and eventually it was also affirmed by your civil grand jury. Nevada County is in danger of losing this once valuable and responsible nonprofit. As an attorney, I have the background our Board of Supervisors needs right now. Fiscal responsibility is another important factor for me. Do you know what we're paying our county staff? I think Michael just indicated what we're paying. And um, <clears throat> having worked with county staff at various levels, they are very important to me. However, this ever-increasing trend to hire I'm sorry, to higher pay and less, I'm sorry, 60% of the employed persons work in the public sector and only 30%, 40%, I'm sorry, in the private sector. Thank you. Thank you all. Now we'll start into the round of questions. And uh, this first question is going to challenge you all on the one-minute time limit, I'm sure. But we're starting with Michael Taylor. Here's the question. What is your position on the Rise Gold proposal to reopen the Idaho-Maryland mine? And more generally, what is your position on updating land use codes within the general plan to preclude mining in populated areas? All of our position on the mine is going to be difficult to, to say publicly what our position is. Our responsibility when elected, when elected supervisor, our responsibility is to read and understand all of the information provided to the moment that we're making that decision. However, I, I do have some things I could say. I think I can say. I think that the, the process for the um, planning commission was, was I think, uh, it kind of showed the, the, the lack of experience by county staff, in my opinion. They put two two choices forward for the Planning Commission to, to decide, A, B. A was to turn it down and adopt the EIR. B is accept, accept theirs and then accept the, the EIR. I think that that was a, a, a mistake that, the, that our county staff presented the EIR in such a way that they suggested both be adopted. Thank you. And Ms. McGuire. I agree somewhat with um, Michael, and um, updating the land use to preclude mining in residential areas makes some sense to me. We all have uh, reasons for wanting to protect our own land investments, and I think that's the primary purpose of any government agency is to secure individual rights in their property. And um, But I would have to review the ER. EIR carefully and get all the input, which I do not have at this point, 
So I would look at all sides, as Mr. Um, Taylor also indicated, and make a decision. I don't have answers positively right now, but it's looking at all sides of the potential solutions. Thank you. And Ms. Hall. Thank you. As you know, in my quasi-judicial role here, I am not able to make a prejudge and make a decision in advance of any um, item like that coming before the board. However, there's multitudes of information out there, which you are all, it's all accessible by all of you. Um, for the vested rights part of the hearing, I did an incredible amount of research, and um, we decided that the mine did not actually make a case for vested rights. As this um, uh, next hearing is coming up on the conditional use permit, with my environmental background, I'm ideally suited to do the kinds of research that we're going to need to make sure that anybody that come for, comes forward and wants to have a great land use um, impact on our county um, make, does so properly and correctly. So um, in terms of land use in general, that is one of the main jobs of a county supervisor is to look at land use, uh, land uses and make decisions on land use. And I'm always happy to discuss how we can make our land use programs and policies better. Thank you. Thank you. Now I'll uh, turn a little bit. We'll get our first question from the media representatives. And I'm going to start with Pascal from Ubinet. Good evening, candidates. Thanks for being here. Um, there's been some discussion about salaries, that people are paid <clears throat> excessive pay, etc. So in your opinion, what should the salary of the county CEO be and what should the salary of a Nevada County supervisor be? And I'll have a follow-up. And the first person here would be Ms. Guire. Yes, the comparison needs to be made. Uh, in the past, the comparison has been just to other counties for a CEO or any other position in the county. However, I don't think that's sufficient since the private sector, the median income is $47,000 compared to the public sector median income for just staff is 128000 according to Transparent California. And um, we've had a duplication of the figures in 10 years, it's doubled. So I don't know that there's an easy answer to that, but I think we have to do a comparison to the public sector. We can't be having our public servants making two, three times, four times as much as the, the local people that are paying for all of those salaries and benefits. Thank you. <clears throat> Ms. Hall. Thank you. Um, the public should know that we uh, take very seriously any of the salaries that are made here at the, at the county. And before any salary is, is created or raises happen, we do a comparative study with eight other counties like ours in a rural area to make sure that we're within a market range. Everyone who makes salaries here in this county is well within the market range for our eight comparable counties. We are lucky to have the excellent staff we have here at the price we have them. The truth is that in big nonprofits or private corporations, they could be making twice as much. They're running a huge, practically, corporation here with multitudes of different kinds of jobs and programs. Again, this is a red herring. It's a non-issue. Salaries go up with inflation like everyone else's. I also want to take a moment to correct the incredibly 
um, disturbing misinformation that's out there about my salary and my job. This is my only job. I make a base salary of $74,000 a year. I am in public service because I love public service, certainly not in it for the money. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Taylor. Um, that was a, that's a lot, of, lot to answer. Um, in my opinion, the county hasn't done their work in, in looking at other counties. I took some time and I compared Nevada County with Sutter County and Yuba County, Mendocino County and Placer County. And that you can find this comparison on my website. And there is no justification for the high salaries that are, that are they're being paid through the county. It's, and what's interesting is the compensation for this last few years has first the county staff put forward a resolution 2020-201 in July of, uh, I'm sorry, in June of 8th of 2021. The, the Board of Supervisors agreed to that raise. Then the staff turned around and created an ordinance for the Board of Supervisors to get a raise. And then they got a raise. Then the Board of Supervisors then approved two more resolutions for senior county staff as well as elected staff. The, the pay for the Board of Supervisors is based on the average election salaries divided, divided equally, and that's how this, the sum. They have a permanent raise moving forward with, their, with this ordinance that they agreed to. Thank you. Uh, may I have my follow-up, please? Steve. Ms. McGuire? No, Steve. Yeah, hello. Oh. Follow-up. <laughs> the follow-up. <clears throat> Clarification. Um, so, since none of you actually answered the question, um, just for the public, um, Transparent California is one of the sources. However, the, um, the average salary of a CEO in the private sector for a thousand employees... Why is she answering her own question? ...is, is $638,000. And if you go to publicpay.ca.gov, you can see is the salaries... Right? for all the county CEOs in context. It's just, but I still don't know what you want to pay yourselves. Ms. Okay. As I've indicated, we cannot have salaries for our public, public servants that are huge in comparison to the private sector. The private sector's median income is $47,000. And in the public sector, the, the staff, the median income is 128000 Our CEO for the county was at 200000 10 years ago and is now at 430000 Our county has not grown. There has not been significant changes. So we just need to dig in this is unsustainable when you only have 40% of the private sector. 40% of people are employed in the private sector versus 60% in the public sector. It's just unsustainable. We've got to come up with a new method rather than just comparing ourselves to county to county. What happens is one county raises it, then the next county raises it, and then the next county. And we are one of the comparables is Sacramento County. I don't know how we compare to Sacramento County. Okay, next question we'll start with Ms. Hall. Let's see. 
need the readers back on. We've lived here for over 20 years, and in that time have seen many beautiful places, such as the Loma Rica Ranch, destroyed by overdevelopment. Meanwhile, the needs of residents for open spaces, trails, parks, and a community rec center have been ignored. If you're elected, will you support real estate developers or local residents? Thank you. Um, that's a bit of an odd comparison. Um, our, uh, the county right now and I am, we are all in huge favor of building more residents. As we know, we have a housing shortage in the state and in the county. We've invested in low-income housing. We're looking um, more and more at workforce housing. We've helped put up Cashins Field in this district. We've housed a number of homeless folks, and that's going to continue to be a strong priority for our board going forward. We're also supporting our business community. Um, we want to in increase our economic resilience, and so we're looking at where development should happen and can happen, um, what we can do to help bring good developers in, and of course, with our trails, we are putting forth a master plan on recreation. That's something that my colleague Hardy Bullock and I brought forward as a priority this year. So we are expanding our work and investment in our outdoors trails and recreation uh, industry, as well as indoor recreation. Thanks. Thank you. Mr. Taylor? Um, I think the Loma Rica Ranch development actually does answer a lot of the questions that the person that asked that question about trails and so on and so forth. Loma Rica Ranch has done a fantastic job in its development creating affordable housing, creating um, uh, nice housing intermixed with trails and, and, and uh, recreation. There's bike trails going through it, there's horse trails going through it, there's a large portion of the property has been set aside for for recreation for, for everyone's use. So I, I think, I personally, you know, I think that we need to look at, continue looking at development, healthy growth, um, and I think that, I think we actually need to go one step farther, and I think we should look at rezoning more property to make it possible for us to meet our uh, housing element plan goals. We have not met our housing element plan goals for almost a decade or more. And I think that that needs to be looked at from, from a county point of view or county staff point of view, that they should be some sort of incentives for us meeting our housing element goals. Thank you. Ms. McGuire. I was having a little bit of an allergy. Could you read the question? Sure. It, it, it's kind of long to get to the point. But um, we've lived here for over 20 years. In that time, have seen many beautiful places, such as Loma Rica Ranch, destroyed by overdevelopment. Meanwhile, the needs of residents for open space, trails, parks, and a community rec center have been ignored. If elected, will you support real estate developers or local residents? Thank you. <clears throat> um, I take exception to the, the term destroyed. I think, um, as Michael has indicated, that there has been some good development. And as Heidi indicated, we need housing, which there is substantial housing going in at present. Um, as far as recreation, I really believe that belongs to the public's, the private sector. The sole purpose of government, as indicated in our Declaration of Independence, is to secure individual rights, which includes property rights of individuals, not to be concerned about providing recreation. That is a philanthropic idea, and that belongs in the private sector. Thank you. 
we'll get our second question from the media representatives, and how about with uh, Marianne Bolsey from the union? Uh, hello. Um, what are your plans to draw industry large or small to Nevada County? Um, at the Board of Supervisors workshop, um, they spoke about bundling uh, businesses and inviting network, especially technology, back to Nevada County. Do you have anything you could offer as far as plans or... Um, pathways for larger small industry the first up is michael <clears throat> taylor i have actually given this a lot of thought and i was at the board uh the, the workshop and i was a little bit surprised that there wasn't something a little more substance as to how to create more economic stability i have a plan that i'm looking at for both economic stability and in the uh, commercial industry as well as the housing industry I think the I think we should look at the possibility of waiving all CDA fees or doing some sort of a credit system that I'll just give you an example the place in Grass Valley that the cannabis place that they just approved three years ago it's taken three years for it to even get open and my thinking is if we do a, an incentive program where they could be open sooner that that would waive fees for them getting opened, for them getting opened in a timely manner. So it's win-win. So I'm looking, you know, I'm looking at an idea that, um, of like a, a wave fees for two, two or two, uh, 1,200 square feet or less on homes as well through CDA. Thank you, Ms. McGuire. Yes, um, as far as plans to draw in industry large or small, my office is a small office. I think. That's what we've always supported in this, this community. And I'd like to see the county uh, back off on fees and, um, and taxes. I keep seeing um, first our county through Measure V, and now the city of Grass Valley and the city of Nevada City are trying to, again, basically punish businesses by raising taxes because the, because the county has grown from a 100 million dollar budget to a 300 million dollar budget and that's unsustainable and we need our private sector but i do support um clean industry as well as you know i think we have to focus on our current businesses we don't need more closures that started with covid thank you ms hall yeah thank you i'm really excited that uh, we just uh, last year hired our first economic development director and we have an economic plan that looks like it's going to be wonderful coming out this next year. Our first, my first priority is to um, protect our existing businesses and help them expand and make it easier for them to function here in the county. And it, next to that, and that includes our nonprofit institutions, our arts institutions, um, which draw a huge amount of visitors and provide all kinds of great programs and quality of life for our current um, residents. Beyond that, bringing in new industries is something we're going to be looking at at the county, figuring out how we can make it easier, again, for them to function here. But honestly, until we do better to solve our housing and broadband issues, we're going to have a very hard time because we are able to attract great people, but they have a hard time finding housing. And lots of folks who have their businesses in their home 
need better broadband support. So we will be continuing to work on those priorities as well to help our local businesses and bring in new ones. Michael, were, were you asking for time for rebuttal? So I'll explain the rules. Each, each candidate has a maximum of two opportunities for rebuttal. Your rebuttal is one minute, and there's no rebuttal to rebuttal. Okay? So you have one minute. Um, Heidi um, took responsibility for creating an, another opportunity to do an economic study in the county. And the economic study, uh, whatever you want to call the people, the people did their presentation a week ago or two weeks ago. And basically, at the end of the presentation, it was crystal clear that the economic setbacks for the county is housing. And what's interesting is that all four or five of the board members go, oh, it's the same thing. We're hearing the same thing, housing. So we are, the reason we're not economically stable or economically doing well is we don't have any kind of housing. Workforce housing, we need housing. We need smart growth with smart housing projects, and we need to focus our energy to creating housing that supports economic future of Nevada County. Thank you. Next question. And this goes first to Ms. McGuire. What is your opinion of the county's current approach to wildfire risk mitigation? And you can, can you provide specific suggestions for how they can do more? The current approach is um, money to suppression. And I think we really have to focus on forest management. Suppression waits for the catastrophe. We cannot wait for the catastrophe. I'm sure you're like me. Every summer, in the heat of the summer, I'm scared to death. I live up in the Banner Mountain area, and there, I had to spend a lot of money clearing my property. I think property owners need to be responsible, but the forest management, $2.5 billion was given to California or to our area just a couple years ago, and it all went to suppression. That makes no sense at all. We need to manage these forests and get them cleaned up. Thank you. Ms. Hall. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, our program actually is really robust and continues to grow every year because that's what you all want. We work on preparedness, mitigation, response, and recovery, and we've done a ton on prevention. If you've seen the um, shaded fuel break that's out on Ponderosa, we have another one coming in the South County. Uh, we have free green waste programs to help our local, to help you get rid of your waste on your land. We have a defensible space program. Um, we have the code red program. And um, we are looking at biomass to help get more of that, that stuff out of the forest. The truth is 30% of our county is federal and state land, forested land. And we have collaborative or, uh, relationships with them and are working with them to do more to clear the forest. Um, but we are doing everything we can on our land, and we are helping private landowners. Uh, and um, we will continue to invest in this as, as, as is needed. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Taylor. Can you read the question again? I got lost with their answers. Sure. Um, what is your opinion of the county's current approach to wildfire risk mitigation? And can you provide any specific suggestions for how the county could do more? Okay. Um, I'd like to to just say, I, I met with Jason, the consolidated fire chief, the new chief. I've met with uh, the fire district, the fire districts. I've met with 
several different people, Shannon Moon, the sheriff. And I, to be honest with you, I am quite amazed how well Sheriff Moon is working with Cal Fire and Consolidated Fire and the fire districts. They are doing, they are improving their programs and they are creating new programs to better keep us safe. Where I would like to see, personally, I would like to see us put more emphasis into education. And that education would come in the form of through the OES, through a, uh, a FEMA CERT program that educates the fire-wise communities. And I'd like to see a, continue to build on a notification system similar to Paradise so that we don't have a situation like Paradise or Lahaina or Oakland Hills. I think that we also need to continue to work on evacuation. Evacuation is, a, is, is suffering greatly here right now, and I think that the way to work on evacuation is to prioritize checking what evacuation routes are, prioritizing them, and then working on them on a scale of 1 to 10, work on the ones that are needed most. Thank you. And did you want to do a rebuttal? One minute. Thank you. One of the concerns I had in my personal experience was our, one of our local nonprofits was receiving $3 million the Fire Safe Council to help with this issue. Mo much of that money has gone to the salary of the Fire Safe Council executive director. The prior director received about 50,000 salary and benefits a year who left at the end of 20 or in June of 2019. The current one has gotten given herself a $50,000 raise every year since. And I, all I hear from people when I'm out walking the district is that they're in line for assistance and they're not getting the assistance. And um, compared to, to the um, median income that I talked about, the current Fire Safe Council uh, executive director is making $231,000 a year. And with her husband, they make $394,000 a year with this amount of money coming in and not assisting the public, it's inappropriate. And we, those are the things I want to look at. Thank you. So let's take another media question from Chris Gilbert at KNCO. Good evening, candidates. Uh, how would you describe the county's management of the road system? What should be the priorities? This goes to Ms. Hall, I believe. Thank you. The question was about our road system and the priorities that we have. So the county has over 500 miles of roads to maintain. And much of the funding, the way we fund that work is through SB1, the gas tax, which is going down. So we are struggling with trying to keep our roads up to a basic standard of maintenance with reduced funding. Um, and that has been a continuing challenge. In addition, we've now been asked by the public to help with a lot of wildfire mitigation projects. So we are working to clear the roads, county roads, about up to 10 feet off on both sides. We've been able to do as good a job as we can by bringing down grants from the federal government. Um, the ARPA funds, many of our ARPA funds went to some of this. But much of these programs are um, dependent upon outside funding and staff. We have staff do a lot of the work. We work with contractors where we can. So we bring in as many efficiencies as we can, but this is a struggle for every county, um, and it will continue to be as we figure out what to replace the gas tax with to help us with our public roads. Thank you, and Mr. T Mr. Taylor. Well, 
our job is not worrying about all the other counties. Our job is trying to figure out our own county. And our own county just had a grand jury report that came un unleashed on uh, public works. And literally, it, none, of the, uh, none of the suggestions that the grand jury suggested to the Board of Supervisors were implemented. They basically ignored the grand jury report. Um, it, I, we have decades of road maintenance, road potholes, striping, um, for at least a decade or more that this has gone down slowly more and more every year. So I feel that we need to take the grand jury's report serious about road um, public works and, and implement their, their, um, their recommendations. That's what I would do if I became, when I become supervisor. Thank you. Ms. McGuire. Management of the, the system priorities. Maintenance is obviously first priority, and then safety for the public. Again, that's the responsibility of government. Um, outside funding is also of a concern to me. Um, I want to brainstorm with people, with tax consultants, and keep our money local. We keep begging the state and the federal government for monies for every purpose. And we've got to stay local. We need to follow. We have a grand jury. We need to follow their recommendations. They put a lot of time into this. And it's the same thing that happened with a grand jury report that I instigated. Um, they're not followed. And what the director of the grand jury at the time um, that gave a uh, conference on this through the law library, I asked her that question, well, what if the grand jury orders something and it's not followed because the grand jury only sits for a year? She said, it's up to the public. So we, the public needs to be involved. I am not going to be a one-man show when I get here. I really want the public and the experts in the public to be part of this. Thank you. And then Ms. Hall, did you want rebuttal time? I do. I think it's time that I have a rebuttal. Thank you. Um, first of all, we take the grand jury reports very seriously. The truth of the matter is most of the issues they raise to us are issues we already know. Sometimes we're already doing work on. So I just want to make that clear. We appreciate them very much. It's an incredibly important part of the transparency of our democracy. Um, but we, we know what's going on inside the county for the most part. Secondly, um, I want to make it clear, too, there seems to be a fundamental misunderstanding about the county role by my uh, opponents here. On almost 90% in some of our departments and offices, over 90% of the work we do is state mandated. We are an arm of the state. Many of our programs, almost, almost most of our funding, comes from the feds and the states to mandate, to implement programs that um, uh, uphold our vulnerable population and that provide the health and safety, basic health and safety that you all need. So this idea that we should not take state or federal funding or reject it or move it around is not even feasible. And it's really important to understand how government works when you're in this job. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, now we have a question which goes first to Mr. Taylor. <clears throat> the Nevada County General Plan has not been comprehensively updated in 30 years. Do you think the general plan still aligns with community goals? And if not... What will you do to update use policies and align with community goals? Okay. Can you ask it one more time? I'm sorry. The first part of the question. The Nevada County General Plan has not been comprehensively updated in 30 years. 
Do you think the general plan still aligns with community goals? And if not, what would you do to update land use policies and align with those goals? That's a really good question. Um, I actually believe very strongly what the Board of Supervisors were able to accomplish in 1992 with the general plan was amazing. I think it would be nearly impossible for us today as, as biased and, and divided and I think it would be impossible for us to come up with a new general plan anywhere near that general plan. So I do believe that general plan has plenty of latitude in it for, and, it's, and it was written well enough for probably decades to come. Um, I hope that answers the question. <laughs> I, I, I think the, the general plan would be very difficult for us today with, with the way we run our government to make um, changes to it that would, that would, let's just say, add housing or let's just say it would stop all gold mining or that, that would do anything other than it's already what it's designed to do. It would be impossible to do something better, I think. Thank you. Ms. McGuire. I would agree wholeheartedly with, with what Mr. Taylor just said. Um, our community is somewhat divided. We're trying to get it moved together. I just believe, um, as our President George Washington once said, put principles, principles above party. And I think we're all trying to do that. That's why we're here tonight. I see all kinds of faces on every side of the aisle. But there are some pretty complicated issues that were worked out for, intended for decades. And I think we can work within our general plan. And of course, to do another general plan and to put in that kind of effort, it's almost like what our founders tried to do, you know, to get our Constitution. And <laughs> said, I cannot imagine going through that process again. And so I think we, we've got a good general plan. We can keep working it. and. Um, I'll submit it on that. Thank you. Ms. Hall. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I think what we need to do and what we've been doing is update the elements as we go along. I think it would be great at some point to relook at the whole general plan. It has been a long time. The community has changed. Some of its priorities have changed, which is why we're investing in new and different things. Um, but we should be keeping it updated by the elements. We recently updated the housing element because we know how important getting housing in is here. And that's been very helpful. Um, I also want to make just uh, note that we've just uh, stood up a youth commission. I think one of the uh, groups of voices we've been missing more and more is the youth. And they are exactly the kind of people who might want to see some changes in the general plan as we go forward. So we'll be looking at ways to incorporate voices and new voices in, in the general plan as we change elements as we go along. Thank you. So let's get another media question from the cleanup hitter on our first round, Paul Emery from KVMR. Thank you. Thank you. There it is. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about the uncounted homeless people. Tom Durkin, artistic director of No Place to Go, who focuses on homeless issues, says they are discovering there are hundreds and likely thousands of Nevada County residents living in unpermitted buildings, basements, attics, tents, garages, and trailers, and motorhomes. They are subject to have, have, having to move whenever they are discovered due to complaints. 
if their numbers were added to the homeless list, it would increase the list dramatically. Uh, would you support revising building codes to allow these citizens of Nevada County to live in security, that they have a place to live, and, and not just have to move to another illegal place if an irate neighbor makes a complaint? Um, and this could continue until housing is available for those people. Uh, that's my question. We begin with Ms. McGuire. Yes, and I've actually seen this several times in the courtroom. I've done a lot of criminal defense, and where there was a lady that was living in a, a mobile home. She was homeless, but she had her mobile home, and there was a major attack from members of the community against this person. I eventually got the charges dismissed against her, um, but it was shocking to me to see that. Um, obviously, the cost of living is always has an impact on creating homelessness, as well as mental health issues and drug abuse. And I think there are ways it should be a collaboration between the private, private sector and the public uh, sector to, to work this out. I think it can be done, and it doesn't have to be super expensive. I have a little trouble with the ranch house that just went in and $4.4 million to house six people there that had some uh, mental health issues. That could be used so much in such a more valuable way to help homeless people. Thank you. Ms. Hall. Thank you. I think there is always an opportunity to do more, and we need to continue to be creative and innovative to solve the ongoing crisis with homelessness. Um, I will say we've tripled our investment in providing homes and services for our homeless population in the last few years, and I'm proud of that work, but we certainly need to be doing more. And I am open to working with the community and some of our really great local activists who brought these issues to us um, and our building community and with our code and compliance folks to figure out how we can make it easier for people in their um, in their RVs or other homes to stay stay in them. Our prime uh, our primary concern always is health and safety, and that includes needing to have septic and running water and those sorts sorts of things. But we can all do better to to make that happen. In terms of the ranch house, once again, we are required to provide uh, services to our most vulnerable. About a third of our population needs those kinds of services. The funding that came down for the ranch house was exclusively for the ranch house, could not be used for anything else, and we did our best to double the um, number of folks we could put in that house for, so we could keep them in, their, in homes. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Taylor? I agree with Mr. Durkin that we are not even close to counting the number of homeless people or people stressed or, or having housing issues. The, the numbers that are growing each year from 200 to 500 doesn't represent people, youth sleeping on couches. It doesn't represent people sleeping in cars, RVs, tough sheds, mobile homes, uh, motor homes. It doesn't, none of those are included in that. So we are in the high numbers of probably thousand, upper of 1,000 people are experiencing homelessness. I've presented a, an, an idea to the county that for recertifying septic systems to add a bedroom. An existing, an existing permitted septic system could be inspected by, by a contractor or an engineer and then be 
upgraded to an allow another bedroom or an RV in the front yard. I'm also pretty disappointed with the presentation at the Board of Supervisors uh, workshop just talking about tiny homes and ADUs. I mean, they literally presented these ideas but had, I mean, thoughts but no ideas on how to actually in, put, in, integrate tiny homes into our, our, our existence here. And you want to use your second rebuttal opportunity, Ms. Sure. <laughs> so it just came to mind, it was just a few years ago when um, in Grass Valley they were selling, they called them park model homes. Those were very inexpensive homes, you know, in a $30,000 range. Uh, people were buying those for granny units and, and people that could no longer afford to be in a large home. Um, and it was the county's policies that stopped that. These were very inexpensive homes. They were beautiful little homes. And the county stopped it because they were overregulated. And people said, we can't put them in. They just, we can't afford to, or the county just downright won't allow it. So those, the sales of those ended. That was over. Thank you. You want to use your second one? I'm going to use my second one. <laughs> um, the other part of the problem is code compliance. And what's interesting with code compliance is, let's just use the ranch house again for an example. Behind the willow, there is a, a lot with a mobile home on it and three or four uh, RVs. And for three years or more, the neighbors have been complaining, writing, writing complaints to the county, and asking that these this, this, um, people squatting in homes, and people, I mean, literally, it's an absolute mess. The county has done nothing. but then. Then someone turns in someone like Tanya Scarlett, and she's put through the ringer and having to evict you know, her tenants immediately and put them on the street. So there's a huge out of balance on, do you go after these people that have nothing and then, and then do nothing for three years? Or do you go after this person that has something to lose and turn their life upside down? There is a huge out of balance with how code enforcement is enforcing and dealing with people in those kinds of situations with housing. Thank you. And perhaps a little spin on the code enforcement. Uh, let's go with a question. How do you see the cannabis industry in Nevada County in the future? And that goes first to Ms. Hall. Thank you. Um, thank you very much. I am proud to be one of the folks who helped uh, pull together a legitimate cannabis business program for this county. Cannabis is part of the history of this county. Um, it will be here whether we regulate it or not, and we've been able to regulate it and provide a path to compliance for some really responsible and excellent growers who've helped grow the economy here as well. We've also really invested in cracking down on illegal growers. This last year, with the sheriff's office, we, um, they took out, uh, you know, incredible amounts of um, cannabis, which I support. We want this to work for people who are willing to follow the rules and regulations, and we need to make sure that the illegal growers are shut down. In addition, it's clear that there have been some neighborhood issues, concerns with exactly where the cannabis growers are in their neighborhood, and we're going to be looking at how to adapt the program to make it better for the neighbors as well. So it's a growing, it a, was a new program, it's growing, and it'll be continuing to um, improve. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. Um, four years ago, the county identified 4,000 people growing cannabis in Nevada County. 
they then put together a licensing or a licensing pro process for bringing people into compliance. In four years, we have 200 people that have used this system for coming into compliance. I personally feel that we need a system for bringing people that want to cooperatively grow, like just say my friend in Nevada City has a small yard and she can't grow her plant in her yard, so why can't she you know, grow with somebody that has 10 or 20 acres? I think there needs to be a compassionate use um, element to this, as well as we have commercial cannabis farms, but there is no commercial cannabis outlet in the county. I think there should be one area in each district for a dispensary for dispensing cannabis in a safe place, like off Highway 80 and up in Soda Springs or Little Town of Washington, if they are agreeable, or North San Juan, or some place, you know, other place that may be agreeable to the community for a dispensary outlet so that the taxes can be collected locally for the cannabis sales. Thank you. Ms. McGuire. Again, first, we all know that it's been legalized to an extent to have cannabis, but the sole purpose of government, I have to keep stressing that, is to protect individual rights. So you have property owners who are being um, deluged with people that are growing marijuana right next to them, overgrowing, and there's complaints to the county. It's not particularly being uh, enforced to a great extent at this point in time. Those are decisions that are made by the district attorney's office as well as the um, county sheriff. So I, I think that to protect the individual rights of the property owners around I agree with uh, Michael that any of this stuff needs to be removed um, to places that are not close to residential areas, as well as um, keeping the limit down. And it, it just needs to be enforced by law enforcement. Thank you. And looking at the clock, folks, we are out of time for questions, and we're going to go into the closing statements. Wow. What? Thank goodness. <laughs> We're just getting going. <laughs> oh. 7.30, sorry. Okay. Somehow I had seven in my head. Okay, so next, the next question then would be from the media from Pascal at Ubinet. Let's get back to um, wildfire and wildfire mitigation. Um, <clears throat> what do you propose? Maybe um, access and egress are, of course, very important in any emergency situation, be that wildfire or flood or whatever. Um, would you be in favor of investing um, grant money or tax dollars into enhanced roadside vegetation management, and would you be willing to include the, what is it, 1,200 or so miles of private roads in Western Nevada County in such a program? First to Mr. Taylor. I think I touched on this um, a little bit earlier. I, I would like to see OES have the lead role in identifying evacuation corridors with it's our partners, our partners being the, um, the uh, Caltrans and um, fire commit, or, uh, 
uh, now I'm drawing a blank, a consolidated fire and the fire districts, there we go, the fire districts. And in working with them to identify these routes that need to be cleared, I think that it, we should be doing a multitasking it with all departments. We should be working with PG, I mean, partners, PG&E, NID, um, the Firewise communities, um, public works, even the private sector, where they can be, where we could be giving the timber to them, or they can remove it for free of cost, or or we just got to come up with some sort of a program, and we need to work on it and shoot ideas back and forth to each other, creating, getting these corridors opened up. There are several corridors that are not, oh sorry, not safe at all. Thank you, Ms. McGuire. I agree with what's just been said, and we all know about paradise, and that was the biggest problem. And we have a lot of problems like that. I know the, the Banner Mountain area, which is in this district, to get off of that mountain if one roadway is blocked is, is a really scary thought. And even where I live, um, I, this was one of my issues 10 years ago, was that staff was requiring a developer to put in a a road, they said, we need a second access. But it was a, a road that all they did was add, There's a, it's a road that goes in, if anyone knows Tranquility Lane, it, it goes in about half a mile, makes a loop, and comes back out the same way. All they were doing is putting a second loop in there as if that was going to help the access out, or the ingress, egress, the egress. <laughs> And it, it didn't do anything, but that was what the staff, and we fought that and got nowhere with the county, and that was very disturbing. And um, the supervisor at that time, which is not one sitting here, um, was going to meet with us, and he said at the end of that, oh, oh is, I'm sorry, I, was it up? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see that. <laughs> All right, thank you. So um, it would take $12 million for us to keep up the vegetation along the roadside the way the fire agencies tell us we should. That is exactly what we had hoped to raise with Measure V, and this district as a whole did vote for it. Unfortunately, it didn't pass because the rest of the county, it didn't add up to enough. However, what we're, so what we're stuck with is trying to do um, a, a whole lot more with not a lot more funds. And um, we're going to be prioritizing the roads, which we have been doing, and we'll continue to do that. In terms of evacuation routes, again, most of the issues that have been raised by my colleagues are issues we're already working on. There's nothing new there. We are looking at all the evacuation routes, egress and, and ingress and egress. District 1 has a lot of problems with that. Um, we're looking to, at prioritizing them, figuring out what we can do, how we can get funding for it. And we're actually working with private landowners who are, you know, the folks who are right there, and including private roads sometimes that connect the county roads. So there's a long way to go on evacuation routes, but we're working on it with the sheriff's office as well. Um, it's a high priority for us, but we're seeking funding. Thank you. So Ms. McGuire, let's go with um, what are your main priorities and concerns if elected to supervisor position for the county? As I guess I indicated somewhat in my opening statement, I think it's fiscal responsibility. Um, our county has just grown to the point where we're spending $3 million a year, and for the last 
six years, we've gone over budget at least 10 or 20 million every year. And that is just not acceptable and it's not sustainable, particularly when the private sector is paying for all of this. And so that is one of my priorities, is to really look at the budget. The only reason that happens, it's poor management, and that is totally the responsibility of the Board of Supervisors to look closely at that, and, and uh, I think that's just crucial. Thank you. Ms. Hall. I've, I think I've laid out some of the priorities that we're working on, as you all have told me they need to be worked on. In terms of fiscal responsibility, that is simply not true, what you are hearing. We've received awards every single year for our fiscal responsibility, and we, um, unlike other counties, have set aside a fund for the growing pension costs that we have. We're very aware of the costs that we have. We're very frugal with our money, and that is a high priority for every one of us on the board. Moreover, I want to push back on the idea that the sole role for government is to protect private property. It is, in fact, also to provide a safety net for the vulnerable, which is, takes up a huge amount of our funds and many of our resources. Finally, the government, government is also allowed to do more, and you all have asked us to get involved in broadband, in recreation and parks and trails, in climate adaptation. So with a very small amount of money that we have in our general fund, we put some of our funds towards those, those uh, priorities because you have told them they're important, and we know they're connected to the economic vitality of this county. Thank you. Mr. Taylor. Fiscal responsibility. That's the first and foremost, most important thing for our county. Right now, our, the, total of our, the total of our property taxes and sales tax, 100% covers all of the county salary. $134 million is the salaries, uh, full-time salaries for Nevada County. Our taxes and our sales tax only cover that. Whatever's left, there's nothing left, actually. So the next thing I would, after fiscal responsibility, I'd say fire preparedness is the next important thing. And again, I'm going back to education, evacuation, um, and um, notification are extremely important. And then the last, of course, is housing, because the only way to be economically stable through many economic reports is to create housing. We need a, a smart growth housing plan, and we need it now. All right, thank you. That was it. Sorry. <laughs> I thought I was, I don't know, for me, I thought I was out of time. <laughs> Thank you. Ms. McGuire. Or do, we started with you. Yes. Yeah, sorry. So then we need a media question from Marianne at the Union. Uh, climate resiliency seems to be on many of the board agendas and what hardening projects do you think are most important and doable for the county. And that goes first to Ms. Hall. 
So it sounded like you were asking about home hardening uh, projects as one of the risk mitigation members that we all um, meant risk mitigation <laughs> activities that we all need to take. Um, so we know that you there's a lot of information out there that you can get from the county and from the fire agencies about clearing around your house, making sure that your home is uh, fire resistant. A lot of this costs money, obviously, and so we are asking people to invest and we're looking for ways that we can help them. However, we also need to do more to mitigate around, that's why we're, you know, that's why we're investing in, um, in some, the Ponderosa fuel break. We need to do more to uh, get our neighborhoods cleared out, which is why the FireWise community is so great, which we support. We have more FireWise communities than anyone else in California, and that's going to be a huge part of um, hardening our home. Aligned with that is our fire insurance crisis, and I just want to mention uh, we know home insurance is going up. Fire agencies, home insur insurance is going up. Our local arts and cultural ins institutions have their rates going up. And I'm working at the state and federal levels to come up with some solutions. We need to do the risk mitigation, and then we need the reward of having our insurance costs come down for doing that work. Thank you. And Mr. Taylor. Oh, man. With, as part of the workshop that just happened with the Board of Supervisors, it was it was one of the senator or one of the people that was make, commenting, I don't remember which one and I apologize for that, was basically saying that there's nothing that we can do at a state level and, and that this is a national problem with, with fire insurance and it's not going to change in the short term. And it's, I think that it's delusional to somehow tell people that if they clear around their house that they're going to have cheaper insurance in some time to come. It's just not going to happen. So house hardening, in my opinion, should come from education. Again, educating the importance of your house being cleared in the event there is a fire. And that's understanding that a fireman, when he's running a dozer, comes to your house. If, it doesn't, if it's not cleared, it doesn't get saved. The importance is educating the importance of clearing your own property and the value of clearing your own property. And I don't think that that should be turned into a situation where the county is telling you and penalizing you because you didn't clear your house property properly. Thank you. Ms. McGuire. I think they stole my thunder, <laughs> both of them. There's, we have to be responsible landowners and it's difficult because we've had so many years where, um, I mean, we live in a beautiful Nevada County and we all love the trees and everything. I've lived here my whole life. And but it was allowed to deteriorate for decades. And so we have a lot of foliage that needs to be removed. And there's an expense to the homeowner. And uh, I know people in my family went from $1,500 a year to $3,000 a year, and this year 8000 just for insurance. And that's unsustainable. And um, I propose at least working with the insurance commissioner, and I know our legislature is making rules left and right that really don't fit for our community because of the fire danger versus living in Sacramento. And that these are some of the things in our district, and I want to work with people in our district that understand these issues, and you know, it would require loggers and PG&E and all the different agencies that can help us out. Thank you. And we have a new question, which will start with Mr. Taylor. Are you satisfied with the service that waste management 
is currently providing under its contract with the county, or is there anything you would change? I'm, I, I am satisfied. I, I'm not seeing any red flags. Um, I have some concern that they're, you know, they're moving to a direction of filming your garbage in high density or high definition. I don't think that that's a, a wise direction to go as far as waste management is concerned, <laughs> checking our garbage out. Um, however, I think that the, in general, I think that's gone well. I think that we've got a new waste management station going in. Um, it's being state-of-the-art. Uh, does it justify how much we pay? Um, you know, I, I can't complain. I haven't heard complaints. The only thing that I've heard that's been been an issue for some people that in my that have communicated with me is having garbage high high resolution um, being filmed. <laughs> Thank you, Mrs. McGuire. I have experienced no problems with waste management, nor have I heard complaints about waste management from the people I've been out talking to or over the years, and um, I think they're doing a very good job. So can I save that time and add it to something where I want to talk more? Thank you. Ms. Hall. That's great. I'm so glad to hear that my colleagues haven't heard any complaints. When you're in this seat, all you hear are the complaints. <laughs> um, but I have to say there are two sides to this issue. One is that because we're a rural county, we do not have choices when it comes to waste management. That is the only company that is willing to come here and work here. So we have to work with them. And they've been good partners in terms of on the green waste. They've done a lot to help us with um, putting out bins and collecting green waste. They've helped us with the river cleanup. Um, they've been good partners in many ways. On the other hand, I have to say they have challenges coming down that are going to hurt us all. Uh, we want to do more recycling, and they're going to have to. We want to recycle our organic waste, and we're going to have to do that. But that is going to be very expensive, and either we have to figure out a way to do that or get an exemption or a delay from the legislature, which we're working on, uh, or, or the price of uh, collecting our waste is going to go up, and we're going to have to do a lot more to, re to uh, take care of our organics. So there are constant challenges in that industry, um, but I think we try to have a good partnership like we do with everyone. Thank you. And that brings us to a media question from Chris at KNCO. So this kind of backtracks to a related topic we've been talking about, but do you feel the county has an appropriate staff level at this time? And if not, how would you address it? And that goes first to Ms. McGuire, I believe. The staff level, as far as I can tell, is adequate. Um, again, it goes back to a comparison of the, the pay to the private sector. I just think it's unsustainable at this point. And I do not want to disparage at all. I work with so many county people I have for decades. I was a county person myself at one point when I was in the district attorney's office or, you know, city hall in Grass Valley. And, um, and I guess that's a pretty, I, I don't think the staff levels are the problem. I think it's the, the salaries and we have to, the Board of Supervisors job is to get real and compare uh, with the private sector, the people that are paying the bill. They, it's just really, it is unsustainable and we cannot run our county into the ground. And, um, you know, I, I'm concerned about people that have gotten their pensions 
if we run out of money, they are going to lose their pensions and go into, you know, bankruptcy court. Thank you, Ms. Hall. Yeah, so just to, for a little context, the height of our staffing levels in 2001 and 2002 were 1,050 staff. Today we have um, fewer than 850 staff, and that was con a conscious decision in the past to bring those staff levels down. What we've tried to do is barely, is basically maintain more or less that staff level, which means we contract out a lot more of our services. We have, you know, dozens of nonprofits who carry out our mandates, and we're grateful to have that. Um, but there is a cost, both to increasing your staff and taking on those pension costs, or contracting out and having less control over what happens out there. So every staff uh, change we make goes through a committee. So it's a very serious decision for us when we increase staff at the um, county. And again, I want to push back on this pay issue. Honestly, counties poach from each other. There is one market rate, and everyone's competing for the same great people. It's not really something that's under our control. It's called the market, and that's how it works. Um, and the private sector isn't paying for everything here. You are, as taxpayers, and the state and federal grants that come in uh, contribute almost two-thirds of the funds that we have that we use here. Thank you. Mr. Taylor. I do think we're going in the wrong direction adding staff. We've added 75 staff, not, not 850. It's, 100, it's 875 now. And it was 802 or three just a few years ago. And when she was referring to, Heidi was referring to our peak employment at 2003. Um, when peak, at peak employment, that was just before the recession, and Rick was hired and brought down employment to a point of 800 per, 800 total full-time staff in Nevada County. At that time that we had 800 staff, total staff in Nevada County, we also weren't doing contracted labor. We have a tremendous, I can't even get the actual number for the contracted labor because it's when you try to do a, a PRA request, they don't have that number. They're not able to give you the number of how many people we're hiring by contract. We're near peak employment with when you factor in contracted employment. Contracted employment comes out of the category of, of services and um, uh, supplies and services. That category in our budget, you can, you, there's almost impossible to get, figure out how many co full-time contracted staff. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, next question starts with Ms. Hall. Is there something the Board of Supervisors can do to increase available affordable housing for low-income senior residents in the workforce? Wow, there's the million-dollar question right there. It's what we're looking at doing. Again, um, we've, uh, the, one of the things that's coming up over and over again is tax credits. So we don't build housing. Developers build housing. And so we, when the developer wants to put in a certain amount of low-income housing or they are required to, that, that brings down their profits. That makes it difficult for them to actually um, get a profit from building housing, especially multifamily housing, which is really what we need. It's a tricky market issue. And low-income tax credits is one of the best ways we've had to get housing built here. And um, we're, I know that there are folks at the na federal level who are trying to get it, more of that available because those are very competitive. We also provide vouchers and help landlords and help uh, folks with first-time home buyers and renters. And we need to increase that, um, that process, that um, program as well. 
but we're going to be diving a little bit deeper this next year into what other tools there might be that we can use to make it attractive to build more income housing here. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. All right, so I actually have touched on this a few times. We can immediately start putting people in housing simply by recertifying an existing permitted septic system to add a bedroom. That immediately would make it possible for someone to do a, a garage conversion into a, into a room, uh, an office conversion back to a bedroom, um, add an ADU, add a, a RV. Immediately we could start putting, putting people in housing legally by simply recertifying the septic, a septic system to add a bedroom. The other that we could do immediately is waive permitting fees for these improvements to people's homes under 800 square feet. We could also waive, I think we should be waiving all CDA fees associated with a 1,200 square foot house or smaller to encouraging entry level housing construction, encouraging developers to use 1,200 square foot or less by having these fees waived or, or actually, um, yeah, waived. Gone. <laughs> Thank you. Ms. McGuire. We need to increase support for the, the private sector again. Um, they're the backbone of our economy. We need to reduce the permitting process. What's happening is people are, uh, they're, they're going around the permitting process and that's not, I think, what government wants to happen but we need to reduce the permitting process and the fees and get people in their homes. As I mentioned earlier, the, the small homes that were being sold in Grass Valley, um, the county put them out of business. And that's not what anyone wants to happen here. So I think there's a lot of things that can be d done to assist um, people for granny homes, et cetera. Thank you. And we'll take our second question from Paul Emery at KNCO, and this will be the last question before close. And it goes first to Mr. Taylor. Yes. Uh, do you support the rebuilding of the Idaho Maryland mine, as it's been described? Do, you're asking about the mine if I support the rebuilding of the mine. I don't, I, I, we can't answer that question if you're looking for an answer, do I support the mine or don't support the mine, none of us can answer that question. That would be, I think, unlawful to actually answer the question. If we're going to be on the, on the board at some point making that decision, it would be, I think it would be, I'm pre-justice? I'm not sure, I mean, I'm not sure, we can't answer that question, or I can't. Sorry. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Ms. McGuire. So there have been some arguments that they have their rights. Um, they own the mineral rights and that. And then on the other side, you have the, the way our county and residences have built up around the mines. So it's a very difficult question. I can't answer it. Um, <laughs> it's a hard one. Yeah. Oops, sorry. <laughs> Nobody said you have to take the full minute. No. Just hold yeah, that question, sorry, Paul, has been asked and answered. So I want to take the opportunity actually to talk about something else which hasn't come up here and set the record straight on the court case that my colleague talked about um, happening here uh, not too long ago. 
My opponent and her colleagues asked the county to submit to them constitutionally protected private voter information about the 2020 elections through a public records request. After conferring with the Secretary of State who monitors and runs elections at the state level, the elections office declined to give them your private data. So they sued. Thankfully, a judge agreed that your private information must be protected and allowed the elections office to provide a few of the documents but with your name and data blocked. While I support government transparency, this lawsuit had no legitimate reason to begin with and achieved nothing in the end. However, it cost the county, and that means you, your taxpayer dollars, tens of thousands of dollars to litigate and hours, hundreds of hours of time for a response. This is conspiracy-motivated attack on our elections with no basis in facts. As taxpayers, you have every right to be upset about this waste of funds. That was her second rebuttal. There's no response. Even if you brought something completely up differently? You get your close. Okay, so we'll do closings, two minutes each, and we start with Ms. McGuire, then Ms. Hall, then Mr. Taylor. You will find on my website that there's substantial information on this lawsuit. We had a member of the public asking for public records. San Francisco County put all of these records online. If the Secretary of State had a problem with that, they would have shut down San Francisco County. The Secretary of State did not do that. We filed suit, and the judge allowed three of the four records we requested. Those records contain hundreds of thousands of pages. If you if you're interested, you can read all of the. It's it's very a very clear record in that case, and um, and it was a valid case. It set some precedent, and it's very important that the public the public under the Public Records Act has a fundamental right to see what their government officers are doing. And this, this was the whole purpose of this, was to, as we all know, the election of 2020 was a, a big issue for a lot of people. There was nothing politically motivated. This was an individual that said, I'm sick of hearing one people say they were cheating or they won't. We can resolve this in our own county, and that's what they've done. And um, so I am seeking transparency, as I indicated before, in government. And I think that's crucial. We need to know what our government officials are doing, and we need to have access to those records. And it's, it's a constitutional right as well as a statutory right that our legislature has recognized. It's in the government code. It's called the Public Records Act. And that was the purpose of that. We were being denied in Nevada County, whereas San Francisco County and many other counties, which we proved in that lawsuit, we're allowing all of these records. Thank you. Ms. Hall. I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight and um, at, answer a number of really good questions about the real priorities and real challenges that this county has in terms of wildfire, fire insurance, housing, our homelessness, fiscal responsibility. These are all the real issues we have to address and the work that I and my colleagues have been doing for the last, in my case, seven years um, to make things better, to make this a better place to live, to protect our natural resources, to uplift our community, and to take care of our vulnerable. Um, I'm concerned that my opponents have come at this with 
um, criticisms and cr creation of problems that simply don't exist. They're a distraction from the real issues. And there is no place in this sweet county for, for national conspiracy issues to be dragged into our elections our, um, or our, uh, the work that we're doing here. My heart is here in this county and in good governance. My uh, 35 years in public service, being parts of large agencies, managing grants and contracts, creating policies and allowing staff to develop the programs that follow the policies, and doing that by listening to you, working with you, taking in your information and your complaints. That is the work that we have to do here, and that is the work that I love. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today, and I hope I will have your vote on or before March 5th. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. <sighs> yes, thank you very much for the opportunity to introduce myself and my issues that, I'm, that are important to me as running for supervisors and, and what I would do as a supervisor when elected. I will be fiscally responsible. I will create housing. I will keep fire preparedness a priority. Um, there are some other issues that I would like to bring up that some things I wouldn't do. Um, recently, the board appointed Gina Wells to audit controller and Michelle Bodley to the ta tax collector. These positions are elected positions. They should be, we should have them on our ballot in March. There should have been a special election for these, for these two individuals. The board appointed them for full term. This is, these positions are important that these are part of the firewall that our community needs to have with, with whether it's with the board or with accounting um, or tax collecting. I mean, the, this, is, this, is what, this is what our system's about. Um, going back to the grand jury, the grand jury writes reports, multiple reports every year. And again, the board doesn't take these seriously. They, they adopt part of them or they foo-foo it off or... Those, they, we're making our grand jury weak because we're not taking them serious. Our grand jury is, again, part of the firewall. Again, the supervisors are part of the firewall as well. And, and when I become supervisor, we'll develop a program that creates the opportunity for community citizens to come in a transparent way to, to present their problems or their questions so that the board is looking at it in whole and it's transparent and there's accountability in moving forward. Uh, I thank you for your time. Please vote for me on March 5th. I actually need help also with donations and getting my message out. Um, look, for me, look for me at the outside here. I'm happy to give you a little card, and it'll connect you with, with um, how to get in touch with me. This is my um, saved paper version of getting my information out. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to thank our representatives from the media for their fine questions this evening. Thank the audience for your close attention. And uh, I know you'll all take what you learned tonight out in the community and use it for your votes. And of course, I want to thank all three of our candidates for their participation and their, their efforts to answer a wide range of questions about county policies and problems. And now everyone can applaud.